Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me, what is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 165th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we're going to head out to the tower, boost the signal, and relay all the latest news and community topics in the Jurassic Wire. Aaron Beyer and I have teamed up, like you heard last month, for another new monthly segment, so we hope you like everything we feature in the second iteration of the Jurassic Wire. All debates and conversations in this segment are our opinions and insights from things that we've seen in the news and around the community. Stay tuned to the beginning of the segment to hear what we'll be discussing. And of course, we have a little bit of housekeeping to get underway. Make sure to go over to our YouTube channel and check out our videos from last week. We actually featured parts two, three, and four of our look at the trading cards from Bullseye Toy. And uh, they're pretty cool. The Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom trading cards. We also had a look at the Maisie and T-Rex from Mattel. Tom Fishenden looked at that one. I did say that we were going to look at the junior novelization. We didn't get to that last week. We're going to get to that this week so stay tuned for that and also parts five and six of the trading cards i thought i was done but i actually picked up a few more packs so we're going to take another look at all of those there's actually some really cool ones i think our last batch number four actually contained a lot of duplicates so hopefully five and six do not and we're going to also feature this week our jurassic hall for the month of august picked up a lot of really cool stuff uh, Jurassic stuff this month so make sure to check out our YouTube page for all of that great content it's been it's been crazy over there videos every day of the week oh uh, every day of the weekday I guess <laughs> if that makes any sense you understand it right I think you get it I uh, maybe maybe not anyway we have a packed episode for you I think you can come to expect the Jurassic wire to be a little bit of a long segment so let's get this one started off with the second iteration of the Jurassic wire the debate over Isla Nublar rages on they're taking no chances of man-made cataclysmic change. The U.S. Senate has convened a special committee to answer a grave moral question. Roger that. one clear for takeoff. Begin tracking. Go, go! Welcome, everybody, to the Jurassic Wire. I am Brad Jost, and my co-anchor for this program is Aaron Beyer. The Jurassic Wire, if you have not heard yet, is the newest segment here on the Jurassic Park podcast, where we discuss all the latest news on the Jurassic saga and the latest conversations in the Jurassic community. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, Jurassic World Evolution, Jurassic Park in theaters, an expanded universe, 
We're going to highlight a member of the community in our community spotlight. Uh, we also have Dinosaurs as Heroes and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom mirroring scenes from the past. Aaron, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, sitting here staring at my beautiful new Mattel Ceratosaurus that I found randomly, finally, in stores. <laughs> uh, oh, you actually got it in stores? You didn't have to uh, send away for it? Series 2 stuff is finally starting to very slowly seep into uh, the Toys R Us here, so I'm excited. Nice, nice. It's not one that I think I'm going to be picking up. I think I... I think I have seen it in stores and I passed. Um, it's one of very few figures that I've actually passed on. And I, I've been picking up as much as I possibly can, even ones I didn't think I was going to like. But there's a few that just haven't really piqued my interest. Yeah, I know you have this weird thing like against the Stratosaur Land <laughs> Park 3 where, oh, it was just a T-Rex head. But um, I, I got some I got some news for everyone in, in the movie industry. They recycle as much stuff as possible. So it's like... <laughs> I'm sure it's whatever, but yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a few things, um, from our last conversation now, uh, you know, it was kind of controversial at times. I think some people were wondering, uh, you know, about our point of views and stuff like that. And I think we uh, made it all pretty clear. Um, there was a few things we wanted to kind of discuss again and just call out real quick because, um, we initially talked about the amount of years, um, in between like the opening scene and the start like uh, of the news cycle on Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Now, um, we had assumed that the entire movie was three years later, but apparently, according to the director or the producer, I forget who said it, it was it was weeks to months after. And then um, that was the beginning scene. And then once it skips ahead to the lady on the news, then that was three years later. Um, so I actually picked up the junior novelization recently, uh, which is not it's not supposed to be considered like high canon or anything like that. But I just wanted to point out a few funny things here. So the beginning of the book starts off um, basically the beginning, the opening scene. So it's uh, let's see, where's the line here? It says the dinosaur theme park had been closed for years and was in a state of sad disrepair. So that's like one of the first lines in this book is that the the park had been closed for years. Um, And then I skip ahead to chapter two. um, And the first thing chapter two says (laughs) is three years later. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm so confused even more after this. And I know, like I said, this is not supposed to be considered like, you know, canon fully per se but um i just thought that was funny because the intro is stating that this is years later and then and then even farther it's saying three years later like even later down the line so i'm confused but uh, i just thought that was funny those novelizations usually get kind of derived from maybe like early scripts or something uh and then which is why sometimes when you read those there's like extra things or yeah things um based on what was in the final product and then even things like uh i follow gary witta who was one of the writers on rogue one and he was asked to um write the i don't know if it was a tie-in or if it was the comic book adaptation of episode eight uh last jedi and he said that he you know he has to obviously get approval but he was able to add in new things into that comic book that is now official canon. So I think, yeah, again, we, you can't take those books, the junior novelizations necessarily as gospel, but they can offer some insight as to maybe how the film looked uh, in early pre-production stages. 
Yeah, that's that's the thing is it was written before the movie came out and then it, it did the book itself, I think, came out after the movie um, because it has full spoilers in there. And there's a few things that are interesting, the the points that it doesn't touch on and the ones that it does expand upon. And you can see those little subtle clues of like deleted scenes or something like that or things we saw from a trailer or a behind the scenes that never actually made it into the movie. So I find that a, like a nice source of information and some confusing things things as well because of, of something like that it just made me laugh that we had that full conversation about how long it took and then it just confused me even more <laughs> again no no real continuity as much as we're trying <laughs> real continuity with anything in jurassic yeah you know uh the lost world it's like oh the the more interior of the island the the meaner the dinosaur is. And then in Jurassic Park 3, it's like, oh, the closer you get to the ocean or the water, uh, the bigger and meaner things get. It's like there's, it's like no one's even watching or listening to the old stuff. <laughs> and um, we had another point we wanted to follow up on. So we, we um, I guess, kind of continuing along that line of like discrepancies and stuff like that with the amount of years and, and canon and stuff. We also talked about like how a lot of like the DPG and Mizrani and all that stuff kind of fits into it all. I think on one of our long tangents, we probably touched upon that. And uh, we were speaking with Jack Ewens and he basically kind of said that like the canon or the viral material that's, that's on the peripheries now with uh, you know, the websites and all that it's kind of from people's perspectives so it's kind of canon from their points of view. And I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, you know, just in case something ever needs to be changed, it could be changed along those, those lines. And I think maybe even they tried to set that up with the fact that there was two viral sites. There was a DPG and also Extinction Now. So they kind of went head to head with some of their thoughts. So nothing ever kind of lined up there. And they, they probably went head to head on a lot of that stuff that, you know, oh, this is this is how it happened. No, this is how it happened. So I kind of get what he's saying there that um, canon is the way you see it or these people who are describing the information and events. So it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's funny that, you you know, we were revisiting this because I think when we recorded it, um, you know, as we said in the last episode, this isn't really meant to be like any kind of uh, gatekeeper or like what we think should go kind of uh, segment on the podcast. It's more or less like kind of like hot takes almost. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, before we aired the episode last time, we I was very consciously like worried like to offend people and specifically <laughs> like Jack and like the guys working at Guys and Girls over at the DPG, like – I was concerned about specifically offending them because, you know, you and I, we talk on, I would say almost a daily basis uh, via, you know, some kind of like instant messenger or whatever. And then I talk to Jack and uh, some of those folks, you know, I would say maybe on a weekly basis, just here and there, um, you know, through Twitter and, and other social media stuff. And so, yeah, my thing, my, my whole opinion on Canon isn't necessarily to offend or anything. Like I said, I just get worried that eventually, um, you know, any or all of this can be wiped out for the sake of needing to tell a different story or completely reboot the franchise. If like, let's say the Crichton family decided to, um, you know, kind of pull the license from universal, uh, really, or, or anything, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think what they do over the DPG is cool. And I think what you're saying, looking at it from a certain perspective, it didn't even dawn on me that the DPG is really written from almost like Claire's point of view because she is the one running, right? Like yeah. running the DPG. So uh, 
I had never even honestly even thought of it that way. And I think when you think of it in that context and which what it really is, uh, that's an interesting way to look at it. I really appreciate that, actually. Yeah, and I think like you had said about the novelization, like it's not meant to be gospel. Like it's not some almighty creator just saying this is the way it happened. Um, you know, it's not like a, from an author's point of view, like telling the truth. It's from somebody's perspective that went through these events. So they only saw what they saw or, some, you know, found some documents that, you know, told a story. So I think it makes a lot of sense in that in that way. But um I think there's there's still we still have like slight discrepancies and issues with things, but overall, I think the the canon, the DPG, Mizrani, this novelization, everything that's out there, uh, the Claire novel, it all really helps. It's all great. Yeah, totally. And I, I think we've got discussions today on you know expanding universe. Oh yeah. So uh, we can dive into that a little bit more later. Yeah. So why don't we start here with some news that uh, it might be a little old at this point, but it uh, it kind of hit us both and we're like, oh, wow, I, I didn't realize that ha- that had happened. So Jurassic World Evolution hits one million copies sold. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic, uh, especially considering this is technically a movie tie in uh, title. Um, I think it shows one that. Frontier developments really hit what a Jurassic game can be, uh, you know, without needing to tell a crazy story, which, you know, for anybody who says there's not a story in that game, there's a story in that game. You just have to read it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not like it's not a cinematic story. Uh, And I think the love that they put into that game really shines through. And I think to hit one million copies, um, you know, that's a big milestone. It's not it's not outrageously unheard of to hit a million copies. I know Octopath Traveler did it in under a week, uh, I believe, uh, when they launched on Switch, and they're only on one unit, whereas, you know, Evolution is on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. So one million isn't necessarily unheard of. I just think it's a great accomplishment for a Jurassic game, and I think Mm -hmm. it's a great accomplishment for Frontier devs, and it really shows, you know, I, I, I think the fans are reacting to you know, when these companies put love into this into this franchise. Yeah, and I think as Jurassic Park fans, we tend to undervalue, like, the franchise and the fan base and all that stuff. Uh, because when I interact with everybody online, I feel like I know the entire fandom. Like, I know everybody that likes Jurassic Park. That's kind of the way it feels because it is, like, a, a tight-knit community. But it's a pretty big, you know, community out there that a lot of people we don't know. And they're helping to support this cause and make this franchise huge. And supporting this game is, is pretty fantastic. I do have a quote here Um from Frontier CEO David Barbin, or Brabin, sorry about that. Uh, he says, There is no doubt that the initial sales have benefited from the worldwide awareness created by the film's release, but it's the quality of the game that that's really important, and I believe our team have done a terrific job in creating a game that uh, a wide range of players are now enjoying around the world. So, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Like, there is just a huge wide range of people, gamers that maybe like this, uh, that maybe are not hugely into the movie. Um, and then you also have the huge fans of the franchise. And and even myself, I underestimated the the fandom this, uh, this past week uh, because I, I threw up a poll on Twitter and... I just kind of wanted to spark some 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 interest and discussion and stuff, so I I threw up a poll that said, "No reason, just wanted to know: Star Wars or Jurassic Park?" 
And to my surprise, Jurassic Park won. Um, I, it's just, again, I feel like I maybe I undervalue the entire fandom in that sense. 2,385 people showed up to vote on that poll, and Jurassic oh. Park won. So, you know, Jurassic Park has a ton of fans. And, you know, one million to me is a good number to hit. Do you feel like it's because our echo chamber is is Jurassic Park because of the podcast, or do you think do you think you have enough Star Wars? Fault? Like, I, I don't know. I, I do, and I, I you know some of the some you know bigger um, sites and things like that also commented on it and voted. So I kind of thought a lot of people retweeted it and it got out on that side of things too. But because I have a lot of Star Wars friends and, and followers on on Twitter as well, so maybe the uh, Jurassic side skews it a little bit. But I was kind of uh, I kind of thought anyway, just Star Wars would win. Yeah, I mean, and you, and you would think so. Um, but yeah, this evolution news, it's great. Uh, we've also received news lately that they have figured out how to adjust uh, certain dinosaur sizes uh, mm-hmm. to accommodate some fan reactions to uh, specifically like the Spinosaurus being too small uh, or I guess the T-Rex being too big, one of the two. Uh, I and think so both, actually. Kind of both. This <laughs> leads to speculation that we could eventually, and this is speculation, uh, maybe hopefully get baby dinosaurs uh, integrated into uh, evolution. Personally, I, it's going to be a while until I go back to evolution. I completely platinum that game. I put a hundred hours into it. Like, it's, yeah, it, I was over a hundred hours to get the platinum. Now, granted, I was messing around and just you know doing a lot of you know whatever uh, in there, but I, I feel like evolution isn't something I'm going back to anytime soon. Um, until some of these updates are out, and then maybe I'll go mess around with new Blar. But uh, that's really it. I'm I'm kind of done with the game, which is which is too bad because I feel like, you know, as a huge fan, I jumped in right away, and I'm not going to get all the benefits of of the updates. But that's that's a lot of games, I guess. Uh, but you know, a, a huge congratulations to Frontier Developments. Yeah, yeah, that is fantastic, and and uh, you know, for that um, update. I actually haven't um, completed the game yet. I'm still, you know, in the middle of it. I think somewhere. I I've been just super busy. I haven't had the chance to play it as much as I wanted to. So that update will be great for me. I'll be able to jump in and, and adjust the things or however it'll happen. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking for, I guess DLCs or something that change a lot. Maybe not just uh, the size of the dinosaur. Something that you know will bring you back to the game. And that's something that you'll you'll need because there's a lot of people in your boat. We know, we know a bunch of people that have done the same thing as you and have played it nonstop for like a bunch of weeks. And, you know, maybe they haven't revisited it. So some, you know, big DLCs would be great. Yeah, big DLCs, new dinosaurs, obviously, um, which I'm sure they have planned on doing. You don't just release a game like that and then <clears throat> put all the dinosaurs <clears throat> out front in the first, you know, few weeks. They're going to let that incubate, I would imagine, for a couple of years. Uh, you know, so yeah, hopefully there's, there's some big changes to come. I'm really excited to see what happens if, if they adjust any kind of like, you know, new dinosaur inventories or, um, relationship, uh, algorithms, uh, cause I was getting kind of frustrated that I couldn't have more than like one T-Rex in a paddock. That doesn't make any sense to me. Even, you know, even in the official canon of Jurassic, we know that T-Rexes can live, uh, harmoniously together. Um, mm-hmm. And that John Hammond's original plan, based on the painting in The Lost World, we know that John Hammond's plan was to have more than like one T-Rex in the park. So um, I thought it was a little weird that you couldn't have more than one of like the apex predators together uh, in a paddock. So when they introduce things like that, I think I'll dive back in uh, just for some sandbox play. 
Uh, there's also things I've seen like they're going to be adding uh, camera uh, abilities to take photos from viewing platforms, which is something I thought was weird that wasn't there to yeah, begin with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to, to get back into that as well. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are um, in the boat of wanting to recreate scenes and, and stuff like that. I know James and Steve from the, this podcast and Jurassic Unicast do a lot of that stuff over on YouTube, so they recreate stuff. But like, you know, if you were if you had the ability to have two T Rexes and a baby T Rex, man, that would be awesome. You know, everybody would be re- recreating the Lost World or or uh, maybe the killing scene from uh, Jurassic Park Three if you wanted to. I don't know. Yeah. But, it would be- um, I don't know why you couldn't have more than one T-Rex. I mean, that, that's that's based off of a cursory knowledge of the fact that Jurassic World and the original Jurassic Park only had one T-Rex. But mm-hmm. we have in canon, official in canon movie. <laughs> uh, you know, we have we have movie canon hard solid evidence that T-Rexes can live together. So I don't really get why that was the case, but. Uh, I'm sure there's a great reason uh, alg- algorithmically as to why that was the case. Yeah, but um, otherwise, uh, congratulations. That's really awesome. One million copies sold. That, and I'm sure it's still growing because this news came out uh, July 19th, so we're a tad behind on that. So, uh, yeah, congratulations. Uh, let's move on to the next piece here, which is actually, you all know this, Jurassic Park is coming back to theaters September 16th, 18th, and 19th. Aaron, do you plan uh, to go back and see Jurassic Park in theaters at all? I don't know. Is it going to be on sale near you? Uh, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be out here. We have Fathom events in Canada. Okay. I'm fairly certain. Uh, yes. If only on the condition that it is, I'm going to do some research and make sure that it's not like uh, some kind of weird DVD or Blu-ray. Um <laughs> Um, I went to Universal Studios once for a screening of Jurassic Park and I was it was uh, at like City Walk and they just played like the Blu-ray and that didn't uh. offer kind of like great sound. Um, for me, going to the movies is about the sound uh, because I, I feel like I have an okay picture at home and I feel like my, my eyes always adjust to whatever screen I'm I'm looking at. So for me, going to a theater is really more about sound than anything. And yeah, if they're going to show the original audio mix um, and, you know, I'll, I'll for sure go see it. And if, hey, if they want to show it in 3D, the version I worked on, uh, even better. I'll go check that out again. Yeah, I don't know if it's coming to 3D or not, but um, I'm excited. I'm excited for people to get the chance to see this. Um, it's it's going to be, in, I think, um, just over 500 theaters. So um, this should be enough for people to get out there and find it. Um, I know I, I looked in my area. It's not super close to me, but, um, you know, it's, it's enough where I can get out there. Um, I have seen Jurassic Park in theaters a bunch of times <laughs> in the past few years. So it does make an interesting, like, dilemma because I feel like a lot of people are maybe in that same boat where they either have this movie on DVD. Like, I literally just bought this on 4K um, I know a lot of people did and other copies out there. So it's interesting that it's going to be, you know, later September or mid-September, people are going to maybe buy another pack, you know, once uh, Fallen Kingdom comes out because it's coming out, I think, that same – yeah, I think it's that same weekend actually. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. But um, I'll probably be out there. And I think it's it's great to uh, bring people together and show it to kids maybe that haven't seen it in a theater. It's yeah. a thrilling experience. And I, I remember the last time I went, I went by myself. I, I didn't find anybody to go with me. But there was a lot of families in there and kids and stuff. And I just remember, like, 
hearing the theater kind of talk amongst themselves and stuff during some of these scenes and just hear hear like the kids react to this stuff and it was it was really awesome it, it was great yeah you know especially if like when the, you know the 20th anniversary came around in 2013 and it was mm-hmm. like okay, if you had a kid that was too young to go see it well that stinks because you've now missed you know your, your kid has kind of missed the 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 official release um you know and and the most topical release of the of the time right but it's now another, it's been another five years yeah. so you know if 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 your kids have not seen it in theaters even if they've seen it at home there is something there is something magical about seeing that brachiosaur for the first time on a massive monstrous screen so yeah if you've got kids that have not seen this in theaters this this is the event to go to and you know what to be honest, the last time I saw it, which is funny because, like, like I said, it, it actually shows a lot. To be honest, that that um, I don't know if you have it out there, but there's a thing called Flashback Cinema here, and uh, I forget which theaters it plays at specifically. Um, but Flashback Cinema just, you know, brings in old movies, a huge range of movies: Back to the Future, Casablanca, uh, Rocky, Grease, anything, Indiana Jones, any kind of older movie out there. They'll bring them back and play them. So I saw Jurassic Park out at this theater it was a good decent theater and i remember i saw something new that i had never seen before and this was just like a year or two ago and like i could not believe that i saw cargo nets in the trees behind the brachiosaurus and and grant and ellie and tim or not ellie lex and tim um i was like blown away that i saw a new detail that i'd never noticed before yeah uh cargo nets um puppeteers behind raptors in the kitchen (laughs) potted plants at the uh, the t-rex breakout sequence what what i love about jurassic is that people keep defending how well it holds up but yeah <laughs> really, really does show its age and that's not a complaint this is obviously you know we're talking now 25 years ago um it's almost like gorilla blockbuster movie making um he has not Spielberg himself, you know, has not gone through and digitally removed all, you know, things based on the backlash of ET, um, and star Wars. Uh, I think leaving these movies alone, the way that they were 25 years ago, if you're a, it's fun to experience. It's fun to find those things that are kind of falling apart. Uh, as, as this movie gets re-enhanced for, you know, HD and as it gets re-enhanced for 4k and it's fun to kind of watch, and find things that you missed as a child. And I think that just honestly, for me as an adult, that just increases kind of the magic that that movie had initially, because I say like, wow, this movie was so good as that as a kid, I didn't notice any of the flaws. It was all just perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a special thing to reflect on. And again, I think kids won't notice. And uh, you know, hopefully this movie brings a lot more enjoyment uh, for years to come. Yeah, and I, I like the point that you had made, like if uh, people had kids back in 2013, didn't get the chance to go see it. I'm kind of in that position right now where like I'm not bringing my one-year-old to, to the 25th anniversary, but maybe the 30th anniversary. If that came around, I would bring him and and, and celebrate like watching this movie. I think that would be fantastic. Um, and also, uh, go ahead. You should make a conscious effort to try not to jump the gun to show. Yeah, I... Home. it's gonna be tough but if you can hold out for that 30th you know they will do something cool for the 30th it'll you know whether it's a re-release or uh something they will do something for the 30th and if you can hold off 
imagine like that experience that you had as a kid, like sharing that same exact experience with your kid would be really cool. I think I'm going to try to do that. That's going to be tough, but uh, I'll try to make it happen, especially when I'm wearing Jurassic Park shirts all the time. I have all this stuff down here in the studio, got stuff everywhere. So it's going to be hard to hide in uh, in a way, but um, we'll see if I can do it. Um, but yeah, also I wanted to make a mention here that uh, if you're you know kind of up in the air as if you want to go or not, but uh, they also have a 17-minute fan-made remake of the film, uh, never before seen on the big screen. Uh, they make a mention of that because it actually you can see it on YouTube right now. <laughs> so um, it, this past year, uh, before Fallen Kingdom came out, they ran a few contests. Um, one was like to uh, you know tell your love of the franchise. Another one was to remake a scene um, or something like that. So I think uh, what they did was they put everything together. They remade a bunch of these scenes and it's like they narrowed it down to like 17 minutes and they're actually going to show that in theaters. So there will be fans up on the screen, people that we know from this community, which is awesome. Um, They will be on the big screen. Yeah, that is absolutely awesome. That is a really cool nod uh, to this generation of fans. that is something that should have been on these 4K releases. Um, yeah. I am I'm adamant about the fact that, first of all, there's never any new bonus materials because, honestly, stuff doesn't exist. Um, you know, this, this stuff is, you know, people think it's like, oh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League exists. It doesn't exist. And <laughs> a movie that's 25 years old, definitely there's not extra stuff that is just, that, that exists. That stuff got thrown out, um, you know, once they decided they weren't going to use it. So... Uh, this is awesome. Congratulations to all those fans who are going to be seen on the big screen around, you know, the North America or wherever else this is shown. Uh, that's a really cool achievement. I'm really jealous. I, I didn't do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. I, I did a, the other version of the contest, but uh, not the recreate. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, September 16th, 18th and 19th. Go check it out. Uh, via Fathom Events. We have the links in our show notes if you want to find that. And also that uh, previous article about Jurassic World Evolution. So now moving on to um, some community topics. Um, Recently, there's been a lot of discussion about the expanded universe. And I think Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom kind of opened up the doors for some expanded uh, material um, aside from the norm that we've gotten in previous years or stuff like that. Um, and a lot of people have been talking about where things are going to go, how things tie in. Um, recently I was on the missing copies podcast with Justin Kiley and we, I don't, uh, I don't know if that's released as of this recording or not, but, uh, he made mention of it on Twitter the other day. So it's coming soon at least. Um, but check out his feed for sure. And we talked for a while about the expanded universe and like what I would like to see, what he would like to see. So Aaron, before I make mention of some of my things, what would you like to see when it comes to, um, well, actually let's, let's not do that first. I want to know, like, do you think that an expanding universe is necessary? I think in a certain capacity. So I have, I have a very unpopular opinion about anything happening before Jurassic Park. I personally, and I'm going to probably make some people angry, I have no interest in anything that happens before Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, I don't need, I don't need, and I know you're a big fan of like wanting like a Hammond special or something. Yeah. Like Netflix. I don't need, <clears throat> I don't need or necessarily even want a Netflix show uh, because I don't think that the VFX can 
can be of the quality of of a feature film. I don't necessarily want uh, any kind of like Hammond origin. I don't need Netflix. I don't need HBO like retelling of Jurassic Park. I just Jurassic Park to me is the the whole reason Jurassic works is because everything leading up to Jurassic Park went close to, if not perfectly, for John Hammond to say, this is a good idea, right? So we have knowledge that may, that, that there was this thing now of, of cloning humans, uh, right? Mm-hmm. And there was that drama. And I guess that's interesting, but I feel like that's interesting maybe like in a miniseries, not necessarily like a show. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't need anything before Jurassic Park because I'm, I'm a firm believer that if anything happened before Jurassic Park, catastrophic, that the park would never have opened. And we know that there was very small things. We know that they were having issues with raptors during construction. Um, that's, that's proven in both the movie, the first movie and the book. But there was never anything catastrophic. There was never repeat breakouts of other species of dinosaurs Um you know, it's everything was, for lack of a better term, everything was like hunky dory uh, up until they brought Alan and Ellie and Ian uh, to give like their final endorsements. And so, anything that happens before Jurassic, I'm not interested in. I, I guess I could be interested in like a, a roundup of species on Nublar and Sorna before. Um, before Jurassic World, I I could I guess I could be interested in some kind of show about um, dinosaur wranglers during the time of setting up Jurassic Park, like dinosaur wranglers on Sorna, uh, you know, uh, like a day in the life kind of situation. But mm-hmm. like to me, like anything that if it doesn't deal with dinosaurs, it's not really Jurassic Park to me. I guess that's that's really weird. I guess, and I know people like that's a really unpopular opinion because everyone wants like. Um, everyone wants kind of these origin stories of like John Hammond, but we already got the origin story of John Hammond, I feel like in Jurassic Park. And it's not really interesting to where I want to watch it for hours on end. I don't know. Like, what do you think of that? Well, um, as far as like what's necessary and not like you had mentioned, um, CG and stuff like that. I don't think CG is completely necessary for any kind of expanded show or anything like that. Um, because, you don't want it to turn out like um, what was that show that was on Fox? Um, what was it? Terra Nova, and it would look Terra like Terra Exactly. Yeah. I mean, which is fine. It looked okay at times, but like it wasn't Jurassic Park quality. Um, but that's what you don't want. You don't want it to be, you know, a low level, you know, CG that just doesn't look that great. So I- I'm okay with like skipping that and just doing something else, something else that kind of ties in. Um, as far as Jurassic expanded universe goes there's not a ton of threads that i feel i need to know things um there's a few things i would be like okay that would be cool to see um you know it's unlike star wars where i feel like with star wars i want to know what's going on on these other planets or with these other characters or this you know there's a lot of stuff that you can dive into there and a lot of time frame with this series it's just like 30 years (laughs) like that's about it you know there's not a ton of time to play with there. So I think, um, I think there is some things. And as far as like, um, the Hammond thing, 
that was one of the the things I'm laughing because like that was the one big thing that I talked about on like, the missing compies. Yeah, um, like you well, you even had conversations with like Jen, like about yeah, yeah, him and like thing, and like I listened to that and like and and again, I was saying to you before this thing, this is a good conversation because I feel like I have like a really unpopular opinion. I feel like 99 of the people listening to this today are totally on your side where like they would want something like that. I, it's just nothing I need necessarily. I think actually Jurassic world kind of serves as like the way that I prefer like the universe to go, but let you finish your, your, your thought on the Hammond thing. And I'll, I'll kind of go into that next. Well, you know, I, um, I think this universe is kind of expanding in a, in a way to give us more stories where that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be about dinosaurs. And I feel like that's what uh, the whole Maisie story is kind of giving us in a way where, you know, we can take it in a different direction if we want to. Um, so I would be okay if, if you expand it to a story that has nothing to do with dinosaurs. And I, um, I've really enjoyed Westworld. And I kind of like um, the way that show plays with time. And you, you get, like, essentially the John Hammond of that show – um, and then you get him in the past, you get him, you know, currently and, and maybe a little bit farther back. There's like a few different things going on, but like, I think I personally would enjoy a show that really has nothing to do with Jurassic Park, nothing to do with dinosaurs, but just tells the story of John Hammond. I'm not a huge origin story guy, but, um, for some reason this kind of like, you know, works for me. Um, cause I, I love his story about the flea circus and, and all that stuff. So I kind of want a young John Hammond, not anything that resembles Richard Attenborough because that's just not possible. You know, it's just not possible to do that. And they're not going to pull a rogue one and like digitally recreate him or anything like that. That should never happen. But a young man, John Hammond could be interesting to me. Um, so I've, I kind of like pitched that a few times here and there about like going back to that time telling his origin story because I feel like Fallen Kingdom kind of threw his origin for a loop for me because I, I don't know. I believe we talked about this, that um, we've, we've seen John Hammond as the entrepreneur, the guy that, um, you know, just had the ideas and maybe not the money or the, um, the, the science aspect of it all. But I feel like Fallen Kingdom sort of threw that for a loop and said that maybe, you know, he maybe had a part in all of that. So I'd like to see how that plays out a little bit more um, you know, the science aspect of his life, not necessarily cloning dinosaurs. I think this show or whatever it would, could be should end way before any of that, you know, like it, uh, never touches upon cloning or dinosaurs or anything. I just think it could be a, a nice little story, a mini series or something. I think where, I think where Jurassic world fallen kingdom ends is a really nice way of saying, we can do, you know, of Universal saying, look, we can do one of two things. We can either just, we can either tell the third Jurassic World movie and that is it, like, right? We tie it in a bow and and, and we figure that out. What I like about the ending of, of Fallen Kingdom is that it makes it so that Universal is smartly uh, creating a cinematic universe similar to marvel and what you have to so hear me out on this right so marvel comes along and they slowly build their marvel universe with the expectation that you're going to get iron man you're going to get iron man 2 then you're going to get thor and cap and then eventually you're going to get avengers right Mm -hmm. where jurassic world started 
And it said, no, we're not, we're not trying to create a cinematic universe. We're just, we want to tell our story. But what Fallen Kingdom allows it to do is say, we are telling our story. However, we now have these animals that are loose. And maybe we can tell side stories or smaller vignette stories that deal with maybe just specific species. So, you know, I think of like, I think of like Jaws, right? In, in today's, uh, in today's world, Jaws today is actually probably a very small movie, but yeah, yeah. You know, comparatively, you know, then it was, it was huge, but today Jaws would be considered a very small movie. It's, uh, it's a, it's an intimate look with a few guys on a boat as they hunt down the shark and they tell each other kind of war stories about their past. And I feel like where we go now is it would be very cool to visit a town, you know, uh, you know, blah, 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 a Jurassic, uh, world story. Right. And <laughs> it, it maybe maybe there's a town in Montana, a very small town and the children are going missing right and they don't know where the children are going and maybe it's yeah. like and maybe bryce dallas howard is in it and no, they're, it's no, called no. the village <laughs> well, yeah okay <laughs> no but like like the children have gone missing and you can kind of instead of it just being this action adventure you can now you can have movies set in the jurassic universe of different genres right mm-hmm. so, you know kids in montana going missing and the people find that it's a a small group of raptors or something that has kind of moved in and nested in and um, I like that. Yeah. And, and you can, you can do all these different genre films, these, these smaller, lower budget films that don't need to be this grandiose volcanoes and stampedes and, and T-Rexes and, and battles and hybrids. Like it can just be this nice, like intimate film that maybe doesn't cost $300 million to make. It maybe costs a few million dollars and uh, do, it, it's not expected to have this, you know, you look at like rogue one, that was expected to have a massive uh, profit. Mm-hmm. Maybe a smaller Jurassic movie, you know, maybe Jurassic survives on the sense that they can tell smaller stories. I don't know. That's just, that's my thought on it. Yeah, well, Rogue One had to tie in and serve so many masters. There, there was a lot going on there, and it had to tie in. But, uh, like, that kind of story doesn't necessarily have to tie into anything at all, aside from the thread that there are dinosaurs loose. That's right. it. Like, it doesn't have to have Claire or Owen. Like, keep them as far away as possible. It's just a story about, like, a family or something like that. Or, and, you know, they're trying to keep their kids safe because they've heard all these stories. It's a, it, it is kind of like a typical story, but I, it's fine to have that in this universe. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, maybe even, like, a, the E.T. of this universe because they hinted at E.T., especially in, the, in Fallen Kingdom. So maybe like that, like somebody, some kid finds a, you know, a little triceratops and wants it to be its friend. And <laughs> You know, you can have these, you can have this R-rated kid oh, no. movie, but then you can also have a, a PG-rated, like, kid finds uh, an abandoned, like, baby dinosaur, right? And he's going it, to, it's, it's a way to expand the universe without being kind of gross, which is what I think, like, DC kind of got bashed for, was like, oh, they did Man of Steel, and then boom, they're doing Batman and Superman, then they're doing Wonder Woman, then they're doing, like, you know, they tried creating up to the Justice League, and that just kind of, like, imploded on itself, which, you know, hey, uh, unpopular opinion, they took the same amount of time to make their sequel as Marvel did, but no one likes to remember that. Um, <laughs> but it, I feel like what the the way there, the way that Jurassic can expand is actually a little just less gross and it's a little less money grabby um they can still have their big tentpole films 
but they can also have really like small intimate movies um, that I don't think any other franchise really can afford to have. Yeah. Well, one thing I definitely don't want is an R rated movie in this franchise. I just think like they're already brutal enough and um, you know, they're supposed to be for kids. It's such a strange concept because the book is not supposed to be for kids, but um, the franchise, the film franchise certainly is. And especially with the toys and all the tie-ins, they don't want to lose that money advocating for an r-rated movie because i think r-rated i think the r-rated thing is a little bogus um i don't need a ton of blood or slash and it doesn't need to be a slasher movie to me i'm just saying the the ability is now there um to service that audience if universal felt like that was something they they wanted to do um yeah. i don't think it's a good idea i'm just saying it's there it's available now in, in kind of a a smaller mentality well i, I really like that idea because i have pitched um, a similar idea with Justin. I know he's actually really for all the R-rated stuff, but um, I'm not. But uh, as far as my other idea was like um, essentially Jaws, but with the Mosasaurus. I think that would be fun. And I know the, the Meg just came out and all that. I have not seen that. Um, but, you know, it might be a good time to hit because that made made some money. You know, it uh, definitely, I think it won a weekend, maybe two weekends in a row. Um, so there's definitely an audience for it. And I think if you tie Jurassic into it, um, the, the title at least somehow, um, I think it could be fun. And, you know, the Mosasaurus did not get its, its due in Fallen Kingdom. We kind of were teased a little bit more than we actually got. And um, I think people were maybe a little let down with the exposure we got from that, uh, that uh, creature. Um, so I think a standalone story for that could be a lot of fun where you go out in the water, you track it down, all that stuff, same stuff from Jaws. Just And maybe, you know what, bring Steven back, get him to direct it. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't I, I think calling it blah, 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 a Jurassic World stories is, is really derivative. I think calling it Jurassic World colon Mosasaur would just be, that would maybe be, be confusing branding wise with the Jurassic World main line. But like, mm. Literally, you can have the logo be the standard Jurassic World logo, the T-Rex skeleton in the circle, but then in the banner, it just says Mosasaur. And that's what the movie's called. The movie is called Mosasaur. You know that it ties into Jurassic because of the the, the branding and the, the emblem, but it's definitely noted and considered a side story. And you know going in, you're just going to get a Mosasaur. This is just a Mosasaurus story, and that's it. You know, that could be really that could be really interesting and and kind of bring back this idea of a smaller blockbuster um, that I think could be really successful. I'd be totally in on that. Yeah, I like the idea because I want to focus on other things in Jurassic World 3. And I think I don't think it'll get enough credit to in in Jurassic World 3 as well. So um, that's just my, you know, hypothesis that it's not going to get enough screen time. Um, But. I would just like some other story with that thing. I, I think it would be fun to wrap up and just, uh, you know, take it out or do what, do what you need to do to end that story. And then you can start fresh with Jurassic World 3, you know, have something else. I know that's not going to happen. They're not going to do that in, the, in that amount of time, but um, it's just a pipe dream. Uh, yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows what they're going to do? As far as Expanded Universe goes, I'm still waiting for the comics. Like, br- please bring on the comics. I don't... Although I don't know, the last ones weren't very good, but I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that Jurassic World now has a bit more clout than Jurassic Park did at the time of this new comic book renaissance. I would hope that the Jurassic World comics could be a little bit better than what they were. Um, 
I think the nice thing about Jurassic World is that it has it so far has solidified the style in which the dinosaurs look. So comics would have to kind of adhere to that unless they did go on some kind of, uh, you know, new new dinosaurs not made by the Hammond or not made by InGen, I guess. Um, yeah. corporate. So I, it's I'm excited for comics. Um, I haven't read the Claire book. I'm actually picking that up when I head back to my family's house. I've got my copy waiting for me there. So I'm excited to read that. I just I as far as expanding diverse, I just don't need prequels to Jurassic Park. I just any anything after Jurassic Park, I'm totally on board for. Yeah, that's that's where it's it's tough for me because I really want a few different stories there, and I think. Um, somehow tying into the Maisie storyline, I feel like that needs to be hit somehow. Um, whether it is a novel, I feel like a novel would work really well there. Uh, maybe maybe you would be on board with a novel, I don't know. But um, I think that's probably your best bet for a Maisie uh, wrap-up as far as what happened there. You know, because people are wondering, like, you know, was the story true? Did they tell it, you know, from their perspective? You know, uh, what, what does Obi-Wan say? It's... Um, uh, from a certain point of view, right? Uh, things are true. So basically, maybe, you know, Maisie original 1.0 died via dinosaur. And I know that's not what you want to hear, um, but maybe something happened there that wasn't true. But I kind of need something with her story. Maybe make it true. Maybe it was like an accident, a car accident, or whatever well, they no, said. But um, make it, make it canon. Movie. Sorry, go ahead. Don't they say a car accident in the movie? Yeah, but I that's what I'm saying is it's from somebody's perspective. It doesn't necessarily have to be true, you know? I mean, maybe it was a car accident in the sense that like a dinosaur stepped on it. Dinosaur stepped on it. <laughs> um no, but like so but but do you maybe see where I'm coming from that like so we know that a Maisie, original Maisie, we know that she visited the park. But it doesn't make any sense that she would have died at the park because I feel like then the park just wouldn't have opened because the or one of the original creators would have been like, no, we're not doing this. This is not. Maybe. I don't know. I, I feel like you can't say that about the original creators because one of them wanted to clone a human and the other one just was delusional. So it's hard to say what they would do and what they would wrap or, or um, hide because they certainly hid the fact that uh, you know, a clone existed, and John Hammond probably knew about it more so than um, were maybe led to believe. I don't know, but um, I think there has to be a story there with her on that island. I think that that's probably something that needs to be done. Something um, I want to see. I will read that book hands down, but I <laughs> like a, a Netflix show I want to watch. I don't know. I'm no, the, the, and that's the problem with shows is because. It's not Star Wars where it's a different universe with different characters. This is the same universe. So you'd have to have, you know, Isabella Sermon playing Maisie. You'd have to have James Cromwell coming back. You know, it just it wouldn't work out. So unless it's a cartoon, um, I think a, a novel would work well there. They've set the, the you know, the, the state here with the evolution of Claire as a novel. And it's a good story, a prequel to Jurassic World. Um, and I, you might be disappointed in that fact, but I don't know. I think, you know, it's a prequel that tells a good story for me. We'll see. I think, I think a novel is actually the best way to handle any of this stuff because not only are you, like you're saying, right, you're, we're kind of locked into actors playing specific characters, but we're also locked into locations and locations 
as proven even in Jurassic World, locations are very hard to replicate even with an unlimited budget, right? So, you know, I'm, and I'm referring to like the visitor the visitor center location in Jurassic World. Oh yeah. And, like the surroundings of that. So I feel like a book is actually the not only is it the easiest way, but it's actually the smartest way to tell stories that happen in locations that we've already visited because it costs literally nothing to write words on a page that say, and now we're at the visitor center with the pond <laughs> in front of the thing and two explorers like pull up and Maisie gets in one to take her first tour. Like that's, that's not expensive to put those words on the page. It's very expensive to recreate on film. And so yeah. that's, well, that's where I'm at with budget and VFX. And I, I kind of, yeah. And that's, that's kind of why I said that Hammond thing, you know, it has nothing to do with anything. So you could film that. It could be a different actor. It could be set somewhere completely different. And it has, doesn't have to tie into anything. I think that's the best bet for a TV show is to not tie into anything. Because even if it's daily life at Jurassic World, you still have to recreate Jurassic World. And there's probably got to be dinosaurs there somehow. I don't think you can get away with that. Um, but a movie at least would could have the budget, you know, to recreate the Mosasaur and to do those things or create raptors and and hide them in the forest or something. Like that could be fantastic. I actually really want that idea. I I am coming around to one prequel idea. And this is the one prequel Ooh, I like idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think it would be cool if John Hammond did have a set of raptors at the San Diego facility and they got out and it was a raptor chase movie. It was a survival movie of raptors hunting people in this facility and then somehow they die and whatever. But like th- that would be like good reason as to why John Hammond decided to open the park on an island and abandon the San Diego facility was that he tried something on a small scale and people died and he buried that. Yeah. And that, that would be really cool. But that's that's like a again, that's to me that's a small budget movie or like uh, I don't like a yeah, that's a small budget movie to me. That's not like a a huge grandiose Jurassic World movie. That's a very small intimate uh yeah, movie uh that, you know, kind of like a, a hopefully better quality, but like a deep blue sea situation, right? Yeah, because we didn't really get a ton of exposure to that park. You know, we got the uh, – there was like some overhead shots I think, right? And then we got the um, the model and a little bit on the inside, but you really didn't get a good sense of the scale or anything. It was very dark and uh, it would give us a chance to revisit that. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to have Hammond in it aside from, you know, maybe somebody redoes the voice or something. You hear him on the phone or something. I don't know. You get some hint that he covered something up. But I think that's that's a great story. I don't think you should have revealed that here. I think you should have just wrote that yourself. <laughs> sold it to Colin. So here's the thing. Like, like I mean, I don't know. What, that to me sounds like a really like neat – Like, because we don't really know why that park was abandoned other than John's dream ex- uh, was, was too grand for the San Diego – park and it's like well it wasn't too grand for the years that i'm sure he spent building the san diego park um that's why i really like like the lockwood mansion was set in california because as you're watching that movie they talk about the lot you know they're talking that you're like in the original lab and all i can think is like dude this is where they were gonna make the dinosaurs and then drive them to san diego and put them 
in this like exhibit. And it's like, it's so cool that the Lockwood, the Lockwood lab is in California. And I, cause I feel like that's a, that's a realistic thing that they, they were going to try to do in the late eighties, early nineties. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe something went wrong at San Diego and we don't know about it. Maybe it's been buried in, you know, somewhere. I don't know. That's, that, that's intriguing to me. That's fantastic. I I really really like that idea. And and maybe that's something like you could tie into like a past and present kind of thing where somebody's uncovering some files or something like that in the present and it kind of flashes back or something. So that's a way to tell the Hammond version of it without having him in it, I think. But um man, dude, that's a good idea. I I'm going to be really disappointed when that doesn't actually happen. <laughs> fear is that it would come out like the baby Godzilla's at the sports stadium. Yeah, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> that's, that's now my big fear if this ever were to somehow get made and it was just as crappy as that. But <laughs> Oh, come on. I like that movie. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, I loved it back then. And yeah, maybe th- maybe they're not the greatest, but... Uh, it's fun. It's fun, at least. And I think I think that's – dude, that's a good idea. That is a really good idea. I, I am fully down for that, like a scary thriller set in a claustrophobic scenario where people are, you know, afraid to let these dinosaurs out. They're afraid to let them out of the park, and they want to keep them in, but they also don't want to die and stuff. There's so many possibilities there. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Let's get it made universal. Do it. Do it. Do it. So I think uh, that's pretty good, you know, discussion on expanded universe. Unless you have anything else to add. No, I don't think so. Just, just give me more. Yeah. So let's move on. Here we have a uh, a community member um, that we want to spotlight here. So we we've been trying to do this. This is only our second uh, episode of the Jurassic Wire, but um, we want to you know highlight a specific member who's been doing great work. And uh, this week we actually wanted to shout out to Victoria's Cantina. Victoria's done uh, some awesome work recently. Yeah, Victoria, uh, she's been here on the podcast doing uh, contribution stuff. She did an episode of the game show with me where we talked about Operation Genesis. Uh, she's done some other conversations with you. Yeah, yeah. She has her own podcast, uh, Victoria's Cantina, Victoria's Cantina, Cantina Chatter. And uh, it's awesome. Um, she's really into like the Star Wars toy collecting and she sprinkles in some Jurassic uh, toy collecting as well. Her primary focus, however, is Star Wars and not being a huge Star Wars fan, but really liking toys and toy collecting. um, I have a really fun time listening to her content, specifically because I just learned a lot about what Star Wars fans see in that franchise. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recently, she interviewed Brit. uh, Oh, my gosh, I'm coughing. (laughs) She interviewed... Uh, from Mattel, Britt Schatz, uh, who is the, I want to say, brand manager uh, yeah. at Mattel, who oversees uh, Jurassic. And that interview was really, really well done. Um, learned a lot about just what goes into, you know, managing that line, what goes into uh, the creation and distribution of all those figures. And it was just a really cool, uh, I'll say, get to to get that interview uh, with someone at Mattel. And I'm I'm weirdly i guess proud of her like that was just awesome yeah yeah i i really enjoyed that interview um it was insightful and you learned a lot about brit but also 
about you know what happens behind the scenes at Mattel and just how much Brit really loves um, the franchise. And you know, I think she said it was even her favorite movie before all of this came about for Mattel. So I think that was a great interview, and yeah, Victoria handled it really well. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting because you're right, like you were saying that like it's great. You got this good sense that the franchise is, and I don't know if she's like necessarily in charge of the whole franchise over there, but like she's the marketing brand manager of it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, like you said, it's good to it's good to get this sense that the franchise is actually in the hands of someone who loves the franchise, and it's not just a money grab or just another. Because I think everyone at work has those has those projects that they work on. That's just like. I, I, it's just my job, so I'm going to do it, right? And it seems like this is above and beyond just her job. She has a general love uh, for the franchise. And, um, yeah, for for Victoria to be able to get that onto the air and get that into our ears, uh, you guys should be checking out Victoria's Cantina. She's got uh, – you can find her at Victoria's Cantina on Twitter, and she has a Patreon as well, so you guys should definitely go check out her material. Yeah, I, I love the podcast, and I actually really enjoy her new podcast. So if you haven't checked that out, it's called uh, Discovery Land, and it's all about uh, you know the history of Disneyland. And Disney is a huge thing for me. I love Disney. Um, I actually don't know a ton about Disneyland itself. I'm more of like a East Coast Disney World person. Um, but I love to learn about like the early early days of the of the park and and uh, you know she's been uh, hitting that up with Discoveryland. It's a fantastic show, super insightful, um, great information. So definitely check that one out as well. Uh, yeah, and so then I think that whole conversation with Britt actually leads us into our next topic, which is talking about dinosaurs as heroes. Um, yeah. What do you think of dinosaurs as heroes? in like these new in these movies um you know i uh i never i i never really considered it too much until i guess fallen kingdom you know i i didn't really think about it that much because let's see we have the initial hero moment the the t-rex goes from bad guy to good guy at the end of the movie um the lost world they're just they're just bad right i mean they're not good um, the uh, Jurassic World, uh, Jurassic Park three. There's there, no, there's no good guys, right? There's no good dinosaurs. I don't think there is there. No T-Rex, heroes. You're actually the victim, I guess. Victim, so yeah. Um, um, Jurassic World obviously has uh, characters as dinosaurs, so things changed as as far as that came around, and there was certainly heroes with blue. And with the T-Rex and certainly winning and striking a pose and all that. Um, And then Fallen Kingdom took it another step farther and repeated that instance, the hero instance, several times um, in that movie alone. um, As well as expanded upon the dinosaur character. So, um, I, like I said, I didn't really even think of it, consider it until Fallen Kingdom it did not bother me in, in Jurassic World. And to be honest, it doesn't bother me in Fallen Kingdom. But I, I get where people are coming from when they say they don't want to see dinosaurs as heroes. Um, I can, you know, have certain ideas that maybe contradict the hero scenario if you want to. Sort of like Jack Ewens was saying, by looking at it from a certain perspective, um, you can say that these dinosaurs were, were hungry. Or they, you know, they just saw 
they have like tunnel vision that they saw what they wanted to see. They're not necessarily saving somebody just like a dinosaur isn't necessarily killing a bad guy. Um, so it's tough to say, but I understand where people are coming from. It doesn't bother me really at all, but um, and I especially loved Blue being a hero. I thought that this was Blue's story, and I have zero problem with Blue being a hero, but I understand the T-Rex striking a pose several times in the movie maybe throws people off a little bit. So here's the thing. I think I think Colin knows how to handle the T-Rex in a way that even I think Spielberg didn't quite know what to do so hear, hear me out on this although spielberg's thing isn't necessarily 100 percent his fault because i guess we should say michael Crichton didn't really know how to handle the t-rex uh in that second book so in the in the first movie it's the origin film right uh the t-rex is the pivotal moment in which everything goes wrong and you are running from the t-rex both in the book and the movie you are trying to get to safety because the t-rex is out and it's coming after you right and in the movie, that's the first time you know Spielberg says, "I changed the ending where the T Rex comes back and kind of saves the day." Because, and I don't even think it was necessarily done like let's save the day. I think it was more or less done like the audience is going to be upset if you don't see the T Rex at the end of the film. Yeah, like, the T Rex shows up an hour into the movie, and if you just go another hour and not see the T, like as a kid, <laughs> I bummed. I'd have been like, "Wait, wait, I want more T Rex, right?" Like. And so then you get the Lost World where the T-Rex is like, well, let's double let's double the action, right, with two T-Rexes. And it, it's the same thing. It's the pivotal thing. Um, the T-Rex is hunting us because we touched its kid, um, you know, that kind of situation. What I think Colin does really well is he says, I can't repeat exactly what Steven did. The T-Rex can't just be the pivotal dinosaur every movie and they tried that with jurassic park 3 and jurassic park 3 was the first time where i felt a sense of villain dinosaurs and i didn't like that feeling um of the spinosaurus being necessarily the villain and so i think that's what turned me off of jurassic park 3 originally but as we now enter jurassic world heroes and villain dinosaurs are are handled i think to the absolute best that they can be um I've said on here before that I'm totally fine with how the Raptors were quote unquote trained. They were the equivalent of orcas and orcas are very dangerous animals. And yet we treat them like giant puppy dogs uh, at like SeaWorld and Marineland and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And things go wrong and it, things go wrong publicly. And I, I feel like that's how the Raptors were handled. Um, and you can also introduce things like, you know, Gene, uh, modification to where there may be a little more understanding and docile, but whatever that's, that's whatever. I guess I don't get into villain dinosaurs, like the Indoraptor or like, especially the Indoraptor in which it was essentially the Indominus again. It was like, we did the Indominus and then we just did it again, which felt kind of weird to me. Um, Let's do but, the same thing, but smaller. Right. And like, <laughs> I was, I was a big like advocate um, and I should I should preface that I, I did work on this movie in, in an aspect in which I don't have obviously any control over the actual film but I remember like thinking like man this is really awesome it would be really awesome if, if in that dark cage there was a second Indoraptor that we didn't know about until like it was a surprise like I think just 
having two Indoraptors would have been really cool. One that the audience didn't know about, um, hmm. you know, and, until it was like too late or something like that. Maybe they, you know, maybe they kill the Indoraptor by it falling through the glass. And then all of a sudden someone gets like snatched up and it's like, whoa, like what? Like there's another one. And it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's going back to that thing with Alan Grant. It's like, you know, the attack comes and then it comes from somewhere you didn't expect. Right. Uh huh. So because, yeah, the Indoraptor was just a smaller version of the Indominus Rex. It kind of felt a little repetitive. Um, but do you think it was just that the, the T-Rex had one too many strike-opposed moments? Because I have to say, they handled the T-Rex, I thought, in the absolute most perfect way in Fallen Kingdom. We got the big T-Rex scene at the very beginning. It was awesome. But you can't just have that be the only T-Rex scene in the movie. Like, it's got to come back. And it's I, good. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think it could have it could have stopped if you just replaced it with the Brachiosaurus in that scene when they're traveling away from the island. Um, that was my assumption as to what would happen is a dinosaur would die via volcano um, being consumed by lava. I assumed it would be the T-Rex because it would be a a good send off, you know, to say goodbye, to have that final shot. Um, but that didn't happen. So that's what I assumed. And I feel like she's kind of wasted in the end of the movie, to be honest, like it's kind of repetitive in that nature where, okay, she just comes and bites somebody in half and and that's it. It's over. And then she just disappears. But, and I also didn't like how she was like crammed in that cage. I didn't think it looked too, too great. Um, but, um, I, I did like the stuff on the boat. I thought that that was good. She wasn't a hero there. Like that was kind of villainous and not villain, I guess, but just bad dinosaur. You don't, you don't want to get uh, caught in the teeth, but um, I don't know. I, I, I get it. I really understand. And the striking the pose mirroring that same image from Jurassic Park with the banner falling is interesting. And I guess you could say that, you know, like my dog barks at every sound that's outside. So he is repetitive in his nature. You know, he, he barks at the same things. He does the same thing when I get home every day. He, you know, so I think animals are repetitive in that sense where they'll repeat what they're, what they know. So this T-Rex kind of knows that. And like the Indominus Rex, they, they talked about the Indominus Rex being um, formed into what, you know, they uh, they created it that way. And, it, you know, by putting it in the cage, you know, it became a monster. So I think maybe there's something to that as well, where, you know, they raised this T-Rex a certain way and this is all she knows. And that's why she strikes a pose or that's why she does this thing. And she is kind of showing or like dominating her territory by roaring and doing all that. So other animals do that. I think that's perfectly uh, yeah, realistic. Yeah. I hate the turn of phrase of like, oh, she strikes a pose. Like, it's just a, it's just a callback to that that awesome shot from the first movie. Um, but as far as like the T Rex being an animal, and this is where like I really, again, unpopular opinion. I don't like when they anthropomorphize these animals to like make us like to me like Rexy. I, like unpopular opinion. I think the idea of Rexy is like is just ridiculous like to me it's just the t-rex like i don't go to the zoo as a bystander and like sure they've got the list of like the different gorillas right and like they've got the names that like the zookeepers give them but 
I, as a spectator, don't have that relationship with those gorillas, right? So, like, I'm not standing at the cage of at the at the zoo and going, "Oh, there's, uh, you know, Chippy or whatever." I don't know, <laughs> right? Like, you know, there's Chippy and there's like Monica or something. Like, I'm not. I don't have this. Yeah, I mean, personal relationship with these animals, and so then to even dumb it down with dinosaurs that are essentially birds, like or cow like or or described as cows in the first movie i don't need to have this relationship with these dinosaurs i think blue is a special circumstance in the sense that because raptors have been described to us as over the last five movies now the smartest animals to ever live you know on the planet and the fact that blue has distinctive markings um, we've got the backstory of Blue with the videos. I guess I can kind of accept that, but still, I miss the days of raptors, like mm-hmm. just raptors. And I don't know. I, I miss that, and I feel like Jurassic World has kind of amped up the idea of the hero and the villain as like is is kind of unrealistic. But you know, we live in a different world. We have to. These movies have to compete on a on a Marvel Star Wars level. Yeah. Those are aspects that Marvel and Star Wars bring to the table. Well, I want to touch on your, your point about uh, going to zoos and stuff like that, because um, I think in the world of Instagram and stuff like that, it's, it's more and more of an occurrence to follow a specific animal or a specific zoo and, and they show off their animals quite often. So I'm, I, I actually, am on the other side of the opinion where if I, if they show off that gorilla and, and I follow that account, I'm going to know that gorilla. And when I go to that zoo, I'm going to be like, I want to see Chippy. Where's Chippy at? And I, I so I kind of get that because I, I, I follow a lot of animals. Let's just be honest. So, so for, so, so here's the, okay. I attended, I attended school in Orlando, Florida, the, at the very same time that, that woman um oh i should know her name because i'm talking about it the woman was dragged um into the pool by the bigger orca um the original natural caught orca that SeaWorld had um and that happened that literally happened one block away from where i was living so at the time so it happened while i was hanging out with my girlfriend um my wife now but my girlfriend at the time we were just hanging out a block away when that happened. And every subsequent visit to SeaWorld, I now had this understanding of this, like you would go to the pool and you'd look in. We had free passes to, to SeaWorld for the whole year while we were there. We had free passes to almost every park. It was great uh, while we were living there. And yeah, I guess I did kind of develop this this understanding of that very specific animal. Like when I would go and look into the enclosure, you'd look in and you'd go, yeah, look at that one. It does look kind of miserable, like being so big and such a small tank. Like y- you develop, I guess, this relationship. But that was actually after something that was like marred by tragedy, not yeah. necessarily like I didn't necessarily develop this relationship through like a positive um, interaction with this animal. It was it was this relationship based on um, a obviously very frustrated animal living um, in captivity. So that relationship is almost like a negative relationship, I guess. Yeah, it, it looks like the the woman's name was Dawn Brancho. 
Does that sound right? And the whale has actually uh, passed away as of recently. So okay, um, yeah, but I, I I get that because you know a lot of people are are not on the side of that captivity aspect, and you know especially when certain uh, bad events happen, it makes it more memorable. Um, like what was it? Um, uh, see now I don't remember it either, but. Uh, the dentist who killed the lion um, or or Harambe or something like that. So there's like there are certain animals that you tend to remember, but it's always marred by something most likely bad. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think when it comes to social media and today, uh, it's easy to remember these things and, and to be on the side of 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 them. So I don't know why we're talking about this at all anymore. But um here you know again like anthropomorphizing or like oh yeah yeah we're trying to create a relationship and i think to zoos credits zoos at this point they they need things like instagram for the general audience to you know oh let's go see the new baby right like when yeah yeah april have, the giraffe is having a new baby see right like you i don't you, know if that's accurate or not but. No, but like i get what you're saying <laughs> and i think social media helps zoos in that way uh, I kind of was hoping that that's when the whole like save the dinosaurs rumor was like starting to percolate in the community. I was kind of hoping that they were going to kind of take that captivity stance. Um, this was before the volcano was like a known, a known thing, but um, I was kind of hoping they were going to do it as more of like a, as a people rebelling against the captive nature of what Jurassic world was doing, you know, based on the news from, the pteranodons breaking out and the mm-hmm. indomitable wreaking havoc. It was like people maybe kind of came to this realization of like, what are we doing? Why are we controlling these animals? And so, um, yeah, to get back, I guess, to the hero villain thing. Well, um, I, I, I was going to say, um, well, what was I going to say? What, what did you just say? Say that uh, again. Oh, the, uh, oh, yeah. I was going to say before Jurassic world, I kind of thought they would take that stance as well with, um, you know, people, um, I guess, on strike or something like that, you would see protests going on. And specifically because they were showing that Mosasaurus Pond really replicating SeaWorld. And at the time, uh, the documentary like Blackfish was hugely popular, um, a lot of controversy surrounding that. So I kind of thought that maybe they would take that aspect, but uh, they didn't. They didn't touch upon it at all. And then, you know, they skip ahead to Fallen Kingdom where there are people debating the the consequences of of you know, keeping these things alive or not. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I didn't think fallen kingdom was going to go in the direction of, um, I didn't think that the events of Jurassic world were so catastrophic that the park wouldn't at least try to operate. Um, I actually, when they, when, again, like I was saying, when this whole save the dinosaurs thing was starting to percolate, I thought that the story was going to be after the events of the Indominus and the Pteranodons, the park was then put back under control and but had very low attendance and what do you do when you have to close down what do you do when jurassic world no longer makes money because people are either a afraid to go there or they now b have a political stance against it what do you do with these dinosaurs when there's no more money to fund their survival and so I kind of thought that's where the movie was going to go instead of kind of like a lost world direction. I thought mm-hmm. it was going to go more into like a, a stance against, uh, you know, these giant zoos and SeaWorld and all that stuff. I don't know if a movie studio would make that stance in, in 2018, but um, 
that's kind of where I was hoping it was yeah, going to go. That is interesting. That is an interesting thought. I, I kind of like that idea as well. I don't know how far you can go with it, but yeah, you would probably end up uh, going a similar route as Fallen Kingdom, you know, right. post island escape. Right. You would go a similar route. You would go the route of, well, I guess now we sell off our assets. Yeah. And, uh, have it kind of, you know, and somehow they get loose into the, the our, our world. Right. But I just thought the MacGuffin of getting there was going to just be a little more political and not so much as like a random volcano that we literally knew nothing about. Um, that That's me. If I, that's if I, if I was writing the movie, that's just me. That's how I would have. Um, and I, I will make a comment on the, um, I guess in world, um, you know, whether they knew these dinosaurs or not, I would love to know um, what the, the guests thought about Rexy. You know, did they call her that? Did, um, because I, I know they did in spoilers in the evolution of Claire. It was called she was called Rexy at one point. Um, but so I don't know if like, you know, guests knew that or called her that. Uh, I don't remember if that was ever mentioned anywhere else. But you you get the sense that obviously nobody really knew about the raptors off in the uh, paddock that they were in. So guys like Mills didn't know that blue was blue. He just like, oh, I just I didn't know it had a name. You know, when when Claire says, oh, that's blue. So I thought that was a nice little uh, interesting tidbit to tie into what we're talking about. Yeah, that was actually a great little nod um, with Mills. I love that. The fact that he really didn't have a connection with this animal. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason that there is a connection with even Claire is that Blue kind of saves the day uh, in the in the last movie and, and obviously with Owen um, being attached. But yeah, I, I, I really dug the way that Fallen Kingdom even handled the idea of like, again, I said with batches of raptors, there was, there was really no... There was... There was really no attachment. They didn't even have like real names like Alpha and Echo, or not Alpha, but like Echo and Blue. Like Blue is a call sign. It's not really a name. Um, yeah, they're, they're just like easy to remember. They're, basically. they're just, they're just um, Echo, Delta. Those are like call signs. They're not really names. And so it kind of, you know, if Echo Gen 1 that we knew died or they had to put it down, they would just replace it with another echo. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I think it really actually, when you think about it, tells a lot of backstory for Owen. Cause I would assume Owen maybe named them because he has his military experience with the echo Bravo, Bravo Delta kind of thing. And then he's like, he's, he's also like a really dumb guy at the same time. So he's like, let's call this one blue. Cause it's blue. Right. Right. <laughs> I think what's interesting about, the Owen Grady character. Oh, he's, you know, he's from the Navy. Well, that's actually really interesting. He could have been working with dolphins, right? Like cause dolphins and seals are used in the Navy all the time. I think so wasn't he, isn't that part of like the story? I think part of his backstory. Well, I don't think it's in the movie. I think it's no, somewhere. somewhere else. I think I don't remember. There's so many places now. I don't know. Yeah. But it's just cool that that's how he got involved with the Raptors is, is hypothetically through his, his dealings with dolphins and other animals in the Navy. I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's neat. Yeah. And yeah. I, I did want to touch on one more point that you had mentioned the Raptors being just Raptors again, you'd kind of like that as well. Um, I, uh, it's hard to say though, because the Raptors, you could take it the opposite direction and just be, they were one-sided villains. Like they weren't like, they were just monsters. They weren't, uh, dimensional creatures like they were in Jurassic Park three, to be honest, they were very multidimensional. They were scary, yeah. 
and they were also families, you know, that that were looking out for their kids. Jurassic Park, they were just monsters. Like they weren't they weren't dimensional creatures. They were just villains. And so no. that's why I have a problem with some people ever saying like, why can't they just go back to that? I'd rather them just go back to Jurassic Park three and uh, you know recreate that scenario because the Jurassic Park monsters or <laughs> raptors were just monsters. Uh, they weren't monsters. They were they were just. And, and Owen says it, these animals exist solely to eat. And, you know, then he pounds his fist, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, these animals have two functions in this world, like most animals, and their function is to survive. And so I feel like in Jurassic Park, they get out and it's like food, like, holy crap, we don't have to wait for food. And there's this easy food over here and I'm going to go for it because I'm an animal. Whereas like Jurassic Park three, when you start getting into like, they're they're very curvy in the way they move, and they're and they're very, um, you know, caring about their eggs. I, I guess that like really harkens into like a, this animal was so smart; it was smarter than a dolphin, right? And that's where like Jurassic Park three like really loses me. Whether or not it was true, I don't know. Um, but Jurassic Park three loses me in the sense that the raptors are now like aliens from the alien franchise or something it just it was very weird to me the way they handled the raptors in jurassic park 3 so again we're on opposite huh. sides of the spectrum here yeah man i feel like this happens a lot we're always on the opposite side from each other that's why this is a good segment i think <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think that's yeah it's like you know maybe maybe you and i don't have so much in common as i thought we <laughs> Well, why don't we move on? Unless you have anything else to say about heroes, we might probably end up touching upon it again. But um, I'm sure we'll come back to it. As far as I'm concerned, they're handling the heroes and villains the best that they possibly can. And I mean, I would much rather have the T-Rex strike a pose twice in the movie than not have a T-Rex at all. So that's my opinion on it. So why don't we actually start there? Because our final topic here is uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom mirroring scenes from the past. Now, a lot of people have been discussing this recently. Um, There's been a lot of comparison between the old movies and the new movies. Um, And I just want to know, like, when they mirror these scenes, does it detract from the film? Do you find it repetitive, uninspired? Or do you think it enhances the experience, like, thematically, of calling back to the past and reliving that nostalgia for the past? So you have a list here that you sent to me, and I think some of these, I think, are justified and actually very clever. Some of them, I think, are only clever if they repeat them a third time in the next movie. And some of them are just like, whatever, it's nostalgia. Just just give the... Give give the dumb baby, give the dumb millennials that we are our nostalgia. <laughs> uh, take us back to ninety three. Like I don't, I don't know. So, so you've got this list. Like, so the first one on the list is Claire in the elevator. I think the Claire in the elevator intro in the second movie is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it mirrors the very first intro where she is a she is a well put together lady. She is all business. And she is going on the uh, sales pitch of a lifetime. She's remembering names. Um, And then you get to the second movie and she is no longer the lady of business, but she is now the servant in the sense that she now runs a nonprofit. She's getting coffees for her employees. 
Um, she's nervous in the sense that like, she's got another meeting coming up that she doesn't know how it's going to go. Um, the thing is, is if Claire is not introduced in the same fashion in the next movie in the trilogy, then why did it need to be repeated in the second? Like it just, I, everything, most things in movies are in threes. And so if you don't do it a third time, it's going to make the second time feel stupid. Yeah, I, I actually never thought of it that way. I kind of look, just looked at it through the, the viewpoint of these two movies where you see the Claire that um, – the business end and then you see the, the real Claire, I guess you could say. Um, so, yeah, I guess that actually makes a – that's a fair point to uh, include it in the third movie. I don't know how – how would she change because who knows? We didn't expect her to go this route for this movie. Maybe she'll be completely different next time around. I don't know. But um, – that would be nice. Or even like a family elevator scene, you know, with with her, Owen, and Maisie or something like that. Or I think that could be interesting. Yeah, maybe she's in, in an elevator at a hospital with Maisie. Maybe something, you know, maybe they're trying to get medical answers for Maisie. And it's no longer just her feet that we zoom in on. It's it's her feet plus Maisie's feet. And we kind of yeah. uh, like a motherly type uh, transition with her. It's just that. I don't see a reason to do it in the second movie if you're not going to introduce Claire the same exact way in the third movie. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, the same with Owen. If Owen's not by himself building something, <laughs> when you first are introduced to him, I don't necessarily... Although, I take it back. In Jurassic Park, <laughs> he was introduced at the Raptor Pit, but... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny, though. <laughs> building his bike. Get a kick out Owen, of that. Building his house. Like, if he's yeah. not something in the third movie i just don't get why you would do it two times <laughs> yeah i mean it, fallen kingdom mirrors a lot like when you think about it it's it's mirroring like the f- first three movies maybe or uh maybe just the first i forget but um and then it heavily even mirrors fallen kingdom or i'm sorry jurassic world um so there there's so much going on and um like like the, I have the second one here is is uh, a bar scene which replicates Jurassic Park three because they have their bar scene about going what? to the island you know we want you on this island Doctor Grant um, no I don't want to go Owen does the same thing they're they're basically Claire's like I want you on this island no I don't want to go so there's uh, parallels there yeah there's parallels but like so you have things like flight to the island and I think like well there's only so many ways to get to the island and Mm. like what it's very specific. Like the way it's shot that calls back to Jurassic park three again. Um, and then the other, some of the other ones call back, whether it's a flight to or from the Island with the helicopter or however they're leaving. So they do tend to call back to those other movies very often with, with that type of scenario. But like you said, how, how are you going to get there? You know? Well, yeah, exactly. Like, how are you going to get there? Um, if if they would have been in a small boat, we would have said, "Oh, they're just copying uh, the the boat scene in the third movie." Um, if you they know, took a hang glider, yeah, I would have been like, <laughs> "Are they supposed to drive there?" I guess, like, I don't know, like, what what else do people want? Well, technically, uh, Malcolm drove there, I think, right? Like, you know, they took the the trucks onto the boat and then they got off the boat. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, you know, it's 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 interesting to look at at least because you know you have those scenes of them flying over the the island and uh, similar stuff happens in Fallen Kingdom, and then you get shots like like the monorail uh, comparing the um, the working monorail to the destructed monorail and stuff like that. So there's parallels, and I think this movie is a is a good example of why you should mirror because it's such a drastic change from the last movie where things were operating and now things are dead and dying. So I think you kind of need to show those parallels to convey the story, right? Yeah, probably. And you, you, it, it's a great way to say like, you know, the new versus the old. And um, But like, so for instance, on here, you also have Brachiosaurus. And I think, um, again, working in a job where I work on a very specific aspect of these films, I did not know it all. So, so as, as you guys as an audience um, were seeing this movie unfold, even though I work on the films to a certain aspect, I didn't know a lot of things. So for instance, I didn't know that the, there was the whole marketing campaign of, do you remember the first time you saw a dinosaur? And I didn't so I didn't know the Brachiosaurus thing was going to play out the way it did um just even even working where I do and so as things are being unveiled to me the 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 whole commercial of do you remember the first time you see a dinosaur Claire is not talking to Claire is not talking to the people in the film she is talking to the children of the 90s who saw a dinosaur for the very first time mm-hmm in Jurassic Park. And so that commercial is not talking to the new character. It's not talking to Zia and it's not talking to Franklin. She is talking specifically to us. And do you remember the first time you saw a dinosaur? And it sets you up to have nostalgic feelings for this brachiosaur again. And the the way that the way that happens in this movie is absolutely beautiful. Do you remember the first time you saw a dinosaur? Yes, it was a brachiosaurus. Well, here, let me remind you of what that was like. And Dude, when Zia is in that car and she's like, I, I have to see this, it's like the same emotions that like I have um, as a nostalgic like 30-something at this point. And so then when it's the final explosion on the island and the brachiosaur is consumed by smoke, it is – it's just emotional, you know? Yeah. And it, it that whole thing, that whole marketing campaign only works if it's all through the – visual remembrance of the brachiosaur if it's any other dinosaur it doesn't work and so i think like that whole mirroring thing was brilliant and absolutely necessary but then things like raptor toe tapping well i don't know it depends on what you thought the raptors were tapping their toes for in the first movie like it's completely independent of of what your train of thought was Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's just like we could talk about that just as a thing raptors do like it's just and then the indoraptor did it here so i don't think there's a lot to talk about there but people have been talking about it um and the brachiosaurus thing i think like yeah i i think you're you're spot on there and um i think when it comes down to it people i have seen people complain surprisingly about that scene that it took it maybe a step far by reenacting essentially the exact same like they literally took almost the brachiosaurus from the first movie put it in this movie it did the same you know rear up on its haunches and stuff so that doesn't bother me at all i kind of like that symbolism i am one that likes 
you know, thematic elements tying into each other from the past. I think that's fantastic. And I think I think they pulled it off right there. And the, the way it was kind of veiled behind the smoke and the the fire and the just the look of everything, it just looked incredible. And I think they pulled it off perfectly. When you go to a musical, um, which we, you know, I, before this, we were saying I'm not necessarily into live theater or anything, but I understand that when you go to a musical, you have to pay attention to the musical cues at the beginning because they will play a, they will play a thematic role as the story progresses and comes to a conclusion. And so that's why, that's why it's important to have uh, audibly the Jurassic themes in the music because it harkens back to a way of trying to, of what the movie wants you to feel. And visually, I don't, I don't see how we can say, I don't see how we can credit music, but then discredit visuals. So like if you're saying, I don't want these visuals to be repeated, then you're also saying you're also allowing for the fact that you don't necessarily want the Jurassic park music themes either. And then to me, it's like, well, if you don't have the music themes of Jurassic, it's not Jurassic anymore. It's something else. So, you know, I guess like I guess I like the mirroring, maybe not to this extent, right? The maybe maybe Fallen Kingdom takes it a step too far. Um, but I don't I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. It there it does maybe take it a step too far if you really want to consider it all, but I, I kinda like it. I, I kinda like all the aspects and I think I maybe maybe like the Rex at the end of the movie, you know, <laughs> striking the pose. I uh, I think maybe that would be the step too far if I was gonna pick a you know a, an option here, um, just because it's the same like like the Brachiosaurus it's the same pose it's the same thing I think it might be reversed, um, but I think it's a, it's exactly like the same basic you know idea there. Um, Let me ask so. you because in Fallen Kingdom the T Rex strikes the quintessential cinematic pose twice. Mm-hmm. She strikes it in the field and with the Carnotaurus, and she strikes it after she eats um, Mills. But she strikes that pose and then instantly walks away. Well, that's that's yeah, that's what I like about the first one. It's a slight. It's more of like a T Rex breakout pose. Um, what what she does there, and then I love the fact that she is a natural animal in that moment because I I, I forget. I I think. Um, Oh man, I wish I, I could remember who said it at the moment. It might have been Jack or, or Clayton Fioriti um, talking about how the animals were maybe malnourished or something like that, you know. And maybe they took every opportunity to eat another dinosaur. So, hearkening back to our conversation about dinosaurs as heroes, I think that worked for me in that sense, and it kind of did strike that pose of like the breakout kind of roar um, and. And I like that the volcano exploded and it threw it off and it was natural feeling. The The dinosaur reacted to the environment and got out of there and forgot about the, the dinosaur that it was just about to like eat or whatever it was doing. Um, so I don't necessarily think it was about Owen because it literally didn't pay attention to Owen whatsoever. Right, right. Like it's just it's kind of like happenstance or coincidence that the T-Rex was hunting a carnotaur. Now I'm again, uh, once again, I'm on the opposite side of you on this. <laughs> I would like the T-Rex to have roared and then stopped to eat kind of mirroring the Gallimimus sequence where it stops and ah. it that animal. And also 
you know, is it is it Nick Van Owen or is it um, Roland Tembo? Uh, these animals don't hunt when they're not hungry. They only they only hunt when they're hungry because they're not maliciously just killing or whatever. Oh, and that, doesn't Grant say that? Does Rex doesn't want to be fed? It wants to hunt. Well, he says that, but then like after Eddie dies, um, they're like, oh, we have to keep oh, it on. Rex just fed. Yeah. Fed, so we should be good. This Rex isn't hunting. And so like when the T-Rex kills the Carnotaur and then like walks away, I thought that was weird. I guess there's the volcano happening, but. Well, yeah, it sends that like shockwave down the mountain and it really throws the the animal off. So that's what works for me is because it. It felt natural. It felt like it was adhering to the environment going on around it. It didn't just continue doing what it was doing or do some hero thing or this or that. It was actually doing what it should have done, I felt like. Um, but then I feel like the one at the end is is a little bit of too much, you know, too much of a callback by, I don't know. There was just no need for it to strike that pose and roar at that moment. I don't really care that much. I probably sound like I'm coming off like I care more than I do, but um, I would say that's the one moment for me that doesn't exactly work. But here, because um, that final roar doesn't necessarily work for me either. But I, I'm gonna say it's because it's too fast. So like, she does that final roar and then instantly goes into moving off into the woods. Whereas I think if they would have done, if they would have mirrored the exact shot from jurassic park where she roars and she holds it for a solid like two or three seconds and then it cuts to a different like scene i feel like it would have worked for me better if they would have done yeah. that or as opposed oh, to they fight over Mill's body she strikes the pose and then instantly is off into the woods and it's like i think i would have much of appreciated of literally mirroring the shot from jurassic park and then cutting it to a different scene yeah yeah, I, I kind of like that idea as well. That That is pretty good. Um, I, I do like how, you know, it kind of it kind of harkens back to Lost World in a way where they like, you know, basically share the wealth there or sort of. I guess the Carnotaur comes back into this scene at the end of the movie, wants part of Mills, right? And the Rex kind of like pushes her away. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was funny. But um, yeah, it should have, I feel like you're right. It should have just cut off exactly the same way and then maybe you cut to the front staircase where owen meets blue right 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 yeah but i guess you needed to see the rex step on the the indominus rex bone but maybe that could have happened somewhere else i i guess but i i didn't understand the need to have the what was the need to have the indominus rex bone if he already had oh fun. man we went it <laughs> this was our whole conversation last time because <laughs> specifically the it's like a shortcut right is that what? yeah i guess okay it, it was a shortcut that was needed to create a cool scene <laughs> i guess i don't yeah. see the reason why they needed to do it but um going back to the mirroring here the um the stampede scene which you kind of brought up before the gallimimus eating the gallimimus there was also more stampeding here. Um, we got the, the like more identical, I guess, with the Gallimimus in Jurassic World. But then in this movie, you have also an assortment of animals stampeding while people are running away, which happens in Jurassic Park. It happens in Jurassic Park Three. Um, I guess it. Um, like what else? What else are dinosaurs? Like what else? What makes herbivores kind of scary? Nothing really, unless there's a hundred of them. Yeah. 
mountain, right? Like, so King Kong, right? The worst sequence in the entire movie is the Brachiosaurus barreling down the mountain sequence. But (laughs) Brachiosaurus is scary, I guess. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. Well, the difference is that in this case, the group hid behind another log, you know, the same way that basically was done in Jurassic Park. Um, So they hid behind that thing. Or in the gyrosphere as well, I guess, but um, very similar. What else are they going to hide behind in a field? Like, I'm saying, like, I get the mirroring and I get where people are complaining about it, but at the end of the day, like, we are on the fifth iteration of this movie that was never designed to have a sequel. So, of course, we're going to (laughs) repeat a lot of the same things. I mean, Marvel is huge right now and they repeat the same stuff all the time. Like, yeah. Iron Man versus Iron Man, Hulk versus Bad Hulk, uh, good super soldier versus bad super soldier. And we're still going with uh, good Black Panther versus bad Black Panther. Like, and it's been 10 years. So, like, we're always going to be mirroring things. And I feel like a lot of the complaints become because it's Jurassic, not because not because it's an actual complaint, but people just want to complain about Jurassic. Yeah. And I, um, I've seen a lot of complaints that say this movie is just the Lost World, which it, I guess you could say that on the surface. The trailer surface made it sort of seem that way, right? Well, I so surface level, I think it is. It is go to mm-hmm. the um, it's it's go to the island, uh, dinosaurs attack, get off the island, dinosaurs attack on the mainland. It is it is beat for beat, uh, the Lost World. It's shifted in its time frame quite a bit, whereas the island is only about a half an hour to 45 minutes of this movie. Um, and the, the city sequence or the, the, the mainland sequence is a larger chunk. But at the end of the day, it is the Lost World, but I think it's done well enough that it's, I mean, I don't know, Jurassic World is Jurassic Park. Like, people yeah. just want to complain. Well, yeah, I mean, that whole scenario, people say that Jurassic World is identical to Jurassic Park, and I'm like, I don't know what what you're talking about. It seems very different to me. I think Jurassic World is less Jurassic Park than Fallen Kingdom is. Yeah, I can get I can get behind that. I just think it is very different from the Lost World in a lot of, you know, scenarios. But there are some that kind of reflect that. And like, I guess, you know, the millionaire wants the person to go to the island, get the dinosaurs bring them back and uh, actually that's not really the case in in the lost world that was sort of like an act you know the ingen team wanted to bring them back but there was some other reason but so sort of like that it was all a lie um but yeah there are those moments and like the dinosaurs in the cages the way the t-rex is in the cage is very reminiscent of the lost world um and all the hunters versus the gatherers kind of thing so i get it it, it does reflect the lost world quite a bit but thematically i feel like it's very different well i mean again franchise movies repeat themselves even jurassic park 3 was jurassic park 3 was literally the lost world it was minus the going well no the dinosaurs even wind up going to the mainland there we just don't see it (laughs) Um, it's literally someone goes onto the onto sorna we're going to send a rescue team to sorna to get the person and crap is going to go down and then dinosaurs wind up somehow going to the mainland like like literally two and three are the same movie like and i think again that's where three just loses me because it's like 
it's like they, I felt like they didn't even try. It was like this weird cash grab. Um, I appreciate it now more as an adult, but like, I remember as a kid being like, did they even bother? Like, like, what is this? I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's different enough, and, I, but not, not in a, like, it just didn't try as hard, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I feel like it's, it, the taglines are the same. Like we're saying with, uh, Fallen Kingdom in the Lost World. It's like when you say the quick description that you read, like on Netflix, like it sounds very similar. Um, but when you watch the movies, I find them to be somewhat different. Um, but I'm like, every shark movie is the same thing. Like, again, no one complains about that. You know, like people are just as happy to see the Meg and Jaws. And uh, I have a special place in my heart for Deep Blue Sea because I think that movie is just an absolute disaster. <laughs> and very much trying to copy Jurassic Park. But like, they're all the same. Like, and no one really complains. So I guess I, it's just with Jurassic. Again, it's it's just this negative echo chamber of people wanting to complain it's like star wars fans wanting it's like before episode nine even comes out i guarantee episode nine is going to be loaded with internet controversy because people just want to complain about it they want to tear it down yeah and the same way that you know episode seven is the same as episode three like it's not but it is so you know it is what it is but, um, you know, this scene, this movie also has like the dumbwaiter aspect where, you know, she reflects Lex going into the cabinet in the kitchen. So that's like on the nose. Like that is 100% trying to replicate that moment for you, bring you back to that claustrophobic feeling with the raptors. So, I mean, that's, you can't really, you know, defend that one too much. No, I, other than just the fact that I thought it was clever. Like, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. They set up this idea of a dumbwaiter in a mansion, which most mansions have. And like, I, I feel like had they not done that, I probably wouldn't have realized that they had the ability to do it. Um, if the dumbwaiter was just in the background or something and they never used it. Yeah, yeah. But I think the fact that someone on set was like, hey, we have the dumbwaiter. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to kind of mimic this like claustrophobic scene? And then they do it and it's like, oh. Like, that's clever. Okay, cool. Like, I see that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, And also, for me, this is one that I've, like, really noticed is just, like, we probably talked about this before, but just the way the movie ends is very much the same way that Jurassic World ended um, with, you know, the group coming out of the building and seeing uh, seeing Blue and being like, you know, come on, Blue, let's, let's, you know, figure this out. Blue runs off, does her own thing. Um, It's very reminiscent of... Jurassic World. So I, I, I don't know why. Um, and to leave yourself off in the same place that you left yeah. Jurassic World is very interesting. It's an interesting call. Um, and I, that's why I keep saying, like, what are you going to do the next movie? Are you going to have that same, like, we need to find Blue, we need to get her, you know, back in the, into uh, care or wherever? Or is it going to be the opposite? Maybe Blue needs to find Owen. I don't know. I think that's the only way you can go at this point because you don't want to do the same mirroring scene three times, I guess, unless you're talking about the Claire in the elevator, which is literally 10 well, seconds. You're talking about an introduction versus yeah. closing. I think uh, they're, they're two different things. A closing, I feel like should be different. So now that I think about it, I get what they did, right? Blue sees the cages. No, I don't want to be put back in the cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but now that I kind of think about it, they've already taken blue and made her this, 
this, I mean, for lack of a better term, she's a dog um, in this movie. Maybe Blue should have gone with Owen if he was just like, look, you are free, but come with me. I will, we will work this out. I don't know. Like if Blue has the the cognitive ability to understand cages versus freedom, then maybe she could understand that he's trying to say, help save her or something. I don't know. Um, again, I, like you said, this movie doesn't really leave you in a better, it doesn't, doesn't progress the story enough to it just kind of sets you back to where we were. It's hard to say because it, it leaves us in a place where dinosaurs are, are in a brand new place, but it is sort of the same kind of place that we left off in, you know, like it's just mainland versus Island, but the right. ending is still the same. You know, right. So I don't have a problem. I think it's it's interesting, and it makes me question what's going to happen at the opening. But they certainly mirrored those two things heavily, like literally, not even mirroring. It's just the same thing. What if Blue? What if Blue in the next movie? Uh, and feel free, Universal, to use this because I think it's going to help to save some time in the next film. <laughs> I know y'all are listening. Um, what if Blue lives close by Owen and Claire? I'm assuming Owen and Claire are gonna not break up this time. Um, what if? Blue, <laughs> well, you think, but who knows? Who knows? Um, what if Blue lives in proximity to them as more of like a bystander? Like she, she now feels this sense of she's the Obi Wan. Yeah. Ugh, all right. I guess uh, <laughs> you I know was, she's keeping her distance, making sure Owen is safe, but not showing herself. You know, I, so one day, you know, she shows her face for some reason because Owen's in danger, or something like more like, and not to reduce, not to reduce Blue even further down to like that of a cat, but like outdoor cats live in proximity to their owners um, because they feel a sense of of family with those people. They're still technically a domesticated outdoor cat is 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 it is a domesticated outdoor cat a wild animal would you consider uh no i i would think it'd just be yeah uh, just a cat that's outdoors but it it, it's not feral or anything like that sure okay i don't know but something like that where it's like yes blue is always within proximity that like maybe owen and claire don't know about but she she stays by them because it's something familiar in the new world that she's exposed to. And I would love that kind of like a nature documentary style. Like you just get to, you just start off with blue and you just see what she's doing. And then you realize she's actually very close to Owen and spying on him from a distance, making sure everything's okay. Um, I kind of wanted to see like the homeward bound where like she has to make her way across the country to find him. <laughs> oh no, there's your small, there's your small intimate movie. It's just yeah. Blue yeah. Right country. <laughs> But I don't know. I think uh, I think that's a good place to to end it there on uh, Homeward Bound Blue. But um, you have any final thoughts here for any of these topics or, or specifically mirroring? Uh, mirroring, I guess. Like you know, you have like the pteranodons flying away. I think it's. I think Jurassic Park ended with the pelicans flying away was really cool, and then I think Jurassic Park three mirroring that with the pteranodons flying away was a cool callback. Um, oh yeah. I, I did enjoy the the problem is I, I hate those tranodons in the third movie. They're I don't think they look good. Oh, okay. 
<clears throat> but I, I did like <clears throat> I did like in Fallen Kingdom the pteranodon, the smaller, more leaner pteranodons flying away um, against the sunset. I thought was really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just don't have problems with the mirroring. Like when people say like, oh, they're just doing it for nostalgic feels. It's like, okay, but you would complain if they didn't do anything for nostalgic feels. So like, yeah, what? yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that's uh, it's it's I don't know. It's hard to argue with people because people have um, their own opinions of how things should be done. And I I personally love callbacks, thematic tie-ins with the past and stuff like that. So um, I think, like I said, there's maybe one instance where it maybe goes a little too far or it's uninspired. But I think overall, keep mirroring. I think you need to keep doing it, especially you got a third final film potentially coming out here. Um, I think it needs to mirror something. Yeah, it's like in it's like in episode seven when she comes across Anakin's old lightsaber. Like I again, I'm not a Star Wars fan, so I all I know is surface level is what I've seen in the movies. So when she gets that lightsaber and it's like, oh, it's it's Anakin's or it's it was Luke's at one point, I was just like, okay, like how stupid. Like, but then my friend who's a huge Star Wars fan, she's like, oh, this is like a really big deal because of the way that lightsabers are like attached to their Jedi. I'm like, okay, like whatever. It's just a, to me, it's just a tool. Don't even get me started, man. We're going to talk for another hour. If you have me talking about that single lightsaber. So I don't want to get into it, but I'm angry about it. Oh, are you like, do you not like that? I just think it makes no sense. Well, no, it does not make sense. I, I, I personally, no, I like the connection that it's been passed down from from Anakin to Luke and then to Rey, but thematically it makes no sense to me, you know, especially due to her not being related to anybody, especially yeah. because she touched that lightsaber and had all these prophetic visions of the past. For what reason? I don't know. Luke never had that. Um, and then and then in in the Last Jedi, it gets destroyed. And I assume there'll be a rebuilding somewhere down the line, but. Um, yeah, but- it just it just it really bugs me that it was destroyed and stuff like that because I I want that thematic tie in to the past. Sure. Yeah, like I guess what I'm getting at is that I have the same attachment to a lightsaber as you do to Rexy. Do to Rexy. Like to me it's just a MacGuffin, it's just a tool um to tell a story and so yeah, I don't know. George Lucas thinks a lot deeper than that and uh Lucasfilm so that's why I like I like the whole like ring theory kind of aspect of Star Wars and and all that stuff so yeah man we I could talk for another full hour or more let's talk about Star Wars for a full hour on the Jurassic Park (laughs) so everyone wants to hear who came here right well every time I record I can't help but mention Star Wars so probably bugs everybody but uh sorry guys I like more than one thing oh no but uh, yeah, I think other than that, I don't think I have any other final thoughts. Good. Well, we we covered a lot, and we uh, we tried to make it shorter for you guys, but uh, a little bit, maybe a tad shorter, not too much. <laughs> we're under, we're just under two hours. So. Yeah, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. So thank you, Aaron, for joining me for another Jurassic Wire. Where can everybody find you online? Uh, you guys can find me at Aaron D Buyer on Twitter. Uh, I will respond to you if you write me. Otherwise, I don't do too much on there, but I'm always watching it. I just don't post a lot. Uh, But you can follow me there, uh, interact with me. If you write me, I will write you back for sure. Um, And then you can always find uh, my latest films on IMDb, uh, which I have not updated. And honestly, I think the last thing I worked on was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, 
um, haven't had anything recently come out. So Nice, yeah. And I, I think this is a good segment for people to follow up with us and to tell us their thoughts so that we can follow up next time, next episode. We'll we'll call back to, we'll mirror what happened here in this episode and yeah. uh, tell you our, our thoughts, how they've changed or how what you guys have responded to. So hit me up. I'm at Brad Jost on Twitter. Let me know specifically because I like to hear things even on my own Twitter. Yeah, write, you know, write us and tell us like things that you want covered on The Wire. Um, again, this is kind of like a hot takes kind of uh, segment, but uh, if you ask us what we think, maybe I will throw you a one sentence answer and then maybe I'll come on the wire and talk about it for half an hour. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next month. Have a good one. Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all of our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast and, of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Anybody hear that? Thanks for listening to the 165th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, a big thanks to my co-anchor, Aaron Beyer, for helping me to bring this fun new segment to life. You know, people continually ask me how I talk about Jurassic Park every week here on the podcast. And I think this segment kind of explains it all. When you have somebody fun to chat with, there is always so much ongoing discussion in the community, so much news, so it really just makes it super easy. We look forward to doing this again next month in the Jurassic Wire. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast. And our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It will seriously help out our rankings and make it easier for Jurassic fans like you to find us. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com to find everything you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to debut a segment of your own, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you could submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. You will remember to wash your hands before you eat anything. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.